And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me is the grind father, Cody Stavenhagen, who, if you don't know that he killed it this week on the beat, I don't know what else to say. There's an offer on The Athletic right now. Usually we do this at the end, but I'm going to plug it right now. There's an offer on The Athletic right now. Six months, a dollar a month. Subscribe to The Athletic. You can read Cody's work, and especially Cody's work to this week was phenomenal. Cody, how you doing, man? Doing all right. Shout out Tony Allen, Oklahoma State alum, the grind father. Uh, do we get tired on this podcast, Kieran? We do not get tired. We don't tired. get tired on this podcast. Let's go. Let's talk it's about not, the no It's hitter. not that we don't get tired. That's actually not the best way to put it. We don't believe, I don't believe in it. getting tired. I don't believe in it, personally. And we'll, we'll elaborate on that in a little bit. Obviously, the big news of the week, Spencer Turnbull throws the eighth no-hitter in Detroit Tigers history. The sixth pitcher to do it, Verlander, and I believe George Mullen. No, no, Virgil, Virgil Trucks. Virgil, Virgil Trucks. Trucks, yes. Virgil, Virgil Trucks, uh, the other uh, two guys who have done it the twice. The season, I believe, in which he lost like 19 games. You know, it's amazing back then they didn't realize how terrible the win-loss was. <laughs> I, I mean. <laughs> so Spencer, this week against the Seattle Mariners, throws a no-hitter like I said. He struck out nine batters. He had two walks, and you know he was just dealing. There's, you know, keep it simple here. The dude was dealing. So before we get into the in depth about the no hitter, because one of the things that we said when we began doing this podcast is we want this podcast in a lot of ways to reflect the work you do at the Athletic. So uh, we'll dive deep into it, but before we do that. Watching the game, watching him deal, just describe the AP, what's the AP version of this story with how his stuff was. Oh man, I haven't done an AP style lead in so long. I forgot how the inverted pyramid works now that I work at The Athletic, but um, he made it look pretty easy, Like, which isn't what you would expect from Spencer Turnbull, a guy who's prone to high pitch counts, long outings. I think it was a continuation of things we've seen with Turnbull in the past. This is the big sexy moment that gets us talking about him, but we've seen this guy make some real strides over the past two years. It's where he's a lot more pitch efficient. He's better with his command. His slider isn't just uh, one side of the plate to the other's batter, other batter's box. It's one side of the plate to the other can be thrown for a strike. Um, he was efficient. He induced a ton of ground ball outs, you know, and he, and he showed the strikeout stuff when he needed it. It was a really well-pitched game by Spencer Turnbull. Of course, like in almost every no-hitter, you get a couple fortunate breaks. Great play by Jamer Candelario. Uh, you know, at third was probably the best play of the game. A couple other, you know, decently hit balls right at people. But I think it does count as Spencer Turnbull's arrival for those of us who have watched him since 2019 or 2018. There's been kind of a gradual progression with this guy, and it, it all came to fruition uh, this week in Seattle. First time he went all nine, correct? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. First complete game. And so, oh, by the way, I uh, when I was doing some research for this podcast, I, I just wanted a quick list of Tigers no-hitters. And the Wikipedia page was already updated, like, I don't know, 10 minutes after the game. 
There's also a whole section about how important the umpire is in a no-hitter because they call balls and strikes <laughs> and how important the manager is because they set the lineup. Shout yeah. out to whoever decided to go very, very basic. Very interesting. <laughs> very basic on uh, what constitutes a no-hitter. Kind of, I don't know, maybe, maybe I was the only one, but I'm watching that last inning and there's that fielder's choice. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, man. It's over. I it, just because like just like the act of somebody getting on base. I don't know if anyone else felt that way, but because you get like the excitement of the ground ball. I'm listening to Dave while I'm watching it on TV. You get the excitement of the ground ball, and then they try to turn it. And for some reason, the the act of like it was a fielder's choice. You know, just did. I was like, oh man, it, it's over. He he oh, was one out away. On. You got to know uh, the rules of the sport, well, Karen. Like I, I know the I know the rules, but I was just like. It was just, I mean, I think it was just like the come down from hoping that was going to be the final play, if that makes sense. Sure. And even Dave's like expression, his like, it wasn't just like, oh, okay, well, he's got one more hitter to do it. He was like, oh, I thought they had it. You know what I mean? Like I was getting in the emotion of it. So I don't know if anyone else felt that way. Maybe I'm just an idiot. It's entirely possible. I did have a guy, shout out to this guy if he's listening. I doubt he's listening, but like after the no hitter is over, and I'm just scrambling to do work. I'm not really looking at, at Twitter too much, but I do like see a notification. He's like, hello, I just started following the sport. Can you explain to me why the ground ball was not a hit? And I was like, maybe another time, man. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I was like, shout out to that guy. <laughs> hey, hey, there's only one, there's only one way to find and out. Somewhere out like there, that. there was someone worse than you, Kieran, who was very confused, trying to figure out, how is this a no-hitter? The guy hit the ball, and he was safe at first base. What, like, what is wrong with this game? <laughs> now, who knows? Who knows? Uh, okay, so one of the things that I, I wanted to say about it's kind of like a broader baseball thing, and then you narrow it down to to the no hitter. Baseball is like a very individualist, uh, excuse me, individual team game. So you have a pitcher, you have a batter. Typically, the ball is only hit to one person at a time. You know, there's some teamwork involved there. But it's not like basketball where every point LeBron James scores is a point that Anthony Davis doesn't score, right? So that like it, it's very individualized. But one of the things that you really get to appreciate the team element of baseball is when a pitcher's got a no-hitter going or a perfect game. Because every single guy on the field wants that for the pitcher. And obviously the guys in the dugout are on the edge of their seat wanting it. And you see like the celebration, how excited they are for their teammate. Now, you mentioned Jamer making a good, a great play at third. We're going to remember that. That's not going to go in any history book. Neither is the home run he had. Neither is running Chip Hale stop sign to get another run as a little insurance. That's only something that people who closely follow will remember. It's Spencer Turnbull's day. That's it. There's nothing in it for anybody else except for them to say that they were there. But you look at the enthusiasm, you look at the genuine joy, it just really made me appreciate the game of baseball. And sometimes you get jaded. I mean, baseball, as we know, is a lot of times in the news for the wrong reasons, for stupid reasons, if you are following what's going on with the White Sox right now. But that was one of those things where I just like, I just really appreciated 
the sport and the team element. And it, you don't get that very often just because of the nature of how the game is played. Yeah, I think you see it. You know, you see it in the postseason. You see it in, in big victories. You see it in big moments like a no-hitter. And it was cool to see the entire Tigers team rallying around Spencer Turnbull. Uh, one thing Spencer Turnbull's father pointed out to me that I did not realize, the guy who like leaped the dugout railing and was kind of first or second to uh, hug Spencer Turnbull on the mound was Casey Mize. Casey Mize, Auburn grad, Spencer Turnbull, Alabama grad, War Eagle rivalry coming together in a joyous moment for the Detroit Tigers. So that, that that's kind of one example of how cool it was for everyone involved. Now everyone on the team can say, I was there for a no-hitter. I've been part of a no-hitter. Uh, also big shout out to, uh, to Eric Haas, the catcher, did a tremendous job, I think, calling pitches and supporting Turnbull behind the plate um, for nine innings. Yeah, and, and that shouldn't go. That's also a section, by the way. I don't want to take away catchers. That's also a section on the Wikipedia page is how important the catcher is. So, um that's something that we can spend a couple minutes on. There's a guy that, I'll be honest, and it's funny I mention him now, he was kind of like Harold Castro to me in a way during spring training, where I didn't allow myself to give him a lot of headspace as I examined the team. And obviously Harold made the team as spring training and hitting Harold and, you know, the best singles hitter since Ichiro, uh, you know, it's great that he's you know performing well Haas I just you know you signed Ramos you got Griner trying to see what Rogers is all about okay cool you put him in left field for a spring training game you know whatever like I just I I didn't even give him much of a thought and if you would have told me hey by the way this guy's gonna call a no hitter in about eight weeks time like I don't even know what I would have said you know so I I think it's I think especially him being a young guy, not a guy who has any sort of track record of calling games just because, you know, what was that? His, I'm, I'm just going to guess, completely guess, eighth start in the big leagues at catcher? Uh, maybe a few maybe more. Maybe a few more. Well, I'll look, I'll look it up and see how bad I'll dis- Get a fact check on I'll, I'll look yeah. it up right now and see how badly I, disappoint, uh, I uh, disrespected him. I'm sorry. But you just didn't expect it. And again, plays into the beauty uh, of, of baseball. I mean, I you know, I felt the same way about Haas to a degree, um, you know, and, and I still do, you know, like how long is this guy really going to stick? Is he going to keep hitting bombs? I don't know. As we've seen with Akil Badu, it's easy for guys to get hot and then uh, kind of flame out. But right now, Eric Haas is, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, is Jake Rogers going to stick around? At this rate, it might be Eric Haas who sticks around. And, uh, you know, A.J. Hinch started him, I believe, the next day because that's how how good of a game he called. I think it also brings back into question. I was always kind of scratching my head uh, the spring when A.J., you know, called Grayson Griner the, the best game caller on the team. Because uh, I was like, well, I've seen Grayson Griner call a lot of games. It's entirely possible he's improved. I think, I think he has improved a little bit this year. But I never thought he was that great. I think you can tell with both Jake Rogers and Haas, the sequencing has been uh, has been superb. He has started 16 games in his career. Uh, I knew it was a few. Uh, and at least one of those is in left field. So mm-hmm. I don't know about anything prior to this year. So set the record straight. Big J journalism here on Turning the Corner. He has started 16 games, and that dates back to 2018 with how Cleveland. many as a tiger how many as a tiger eight might be eight he has started 
13. No. Oh, wow. No, not 13. I'm sorry, 11. 11. Made me do okay. math on the Shout flight. Shout out Eric uh, <laughs> another thing I wanted to get in about the romanticism, uh, romanticism of baseball. Uh, I know he's not the most popular guy calling games, but I did really appreciate Jack Morris calling a game that was a no-hitter by a guy who plays for a team that he you know, came up with and had tremendous amount of success with. Success with. I, I did really appreciate that, and I... I hope that he sort of like had that same joy. I didn't listen, so I, I can't say that he did because I was listening to Dave. Because Dave's the goat, you know what I mean? Like Dave's the goat. Who is Dave? You said been seeing Dave this whole time. I don't even know who Dave is. Dave. Uh... Oh my God, Dan, Dan, <laughs> Dan, Dan Dickerson. Dickerson. He's confused. Everyone, Kieran is just confused. Dave. Now he's got so, me to do it. I can, tell you, why. I can tell you why. I can tell you why. Oklahoma State play-by-play. No, it, it, it's Hunziker. that. Which, by the way, Dan Dickerson and Dave Hunziker, very similar in how I view them professionally. I think they're both well, top-notch. And I can only speak for Dave Hunziker at Oklahoma State. Tremendous human being. I don't know Dan, obviously, but you've spoken. Also a tremendous yeah. human being. Both I'll tell you why also I got the Dan and the Daves mixed up. is because I was looking up when Spencer got drafted exactly. He was drafted in 2014, second round, which means he was one of the uh, last top draft picks of Dave Dombrowski. Mm. So that's another reason why I, I was getting Dan and Dave mixed up. All right. So because I, I was I was gonna do a little anecdote. I was like, okay, you know, a lot of people want Al's job. You know, let's see if he drafted Spencer because I know it was right around that time. Nope, it was the only a couple months uh, before uh, before Dave Dombrowski left. That was one of the last acts he had was uh, drafting Spencer Turnbull. So that's that's the Dan and the Dave mix-up right there. It's great radio. Great podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, real quick on uh, Jack Morris, uh, a little anecdote. And this leads me to believe he does appreciate the moment that uh, he was able to call this week. I interviewed a guy named Ron Kittle a couple years ago. Ron Kittle, the 1983 AL Rookie of the Year, catcher, outfielder for the White Sox, and you know played for a couple other teams, including the Yankees, I believe. Uh, interviewed him a couple years ago. He was the final out of Jack Morris's no-hitter. And he told me, because I was like, well, he played against the 84 Tigers, so I was like, you know, is Lou Whitaker a Hall of Famer? This is after the interview. I was like, is Luke Whitaker a Hall of Famer? He's like, yeah, if you put Trammell in, I think you should put Lou in. Uh, and I asked him about Jack, and uh, he, he told me that Jack Morris went to him after the game sometime. Maybe it was later on. I, I don't know exactly when, but eventually he went to Ron Kittle and asked him to sign the scorecard that uh that of his uh, of his no hitter and and Ron Kittle obliged because you know in a sport of baseball you tend to appreciate you know the essence of the game and so so he signed it so somewhere Jack Morris has a scorecard of his uh, no hitter and it's signed by Ron Kittle who was the final out so I thought that was interesting it's kind of it's kind of weird you can 
sign this for me so I remember how I got you out. Did he collect the signatures of everyone he got out? I that mean, game? maybe, maybe not, but you know the final out's the only one that makes the highlight reel in the 30 years. Yeah. And yeah, for sure. you could make the argument how maybe that's like the original jersey swap that we see in football. The scorecard? Yeah, maybe you so. Know, that, they do it a lot in baseball too. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's a deal there. So that's just a little little anecdote I wanted to uh wanted to pass around. Okay, so let's get to the reason that I called you the Grindfather. So I think people that listen to this podcast, people that read your work, would also be interested in behind the scenes on how things happen. Because if you're listening to this podcast, you're obviously really, uh, really dedicated to Detroit Tigers news. And if you're an athletic subscriber, you're paying for online articles when you don't have to, right? So you obviously care. So I think it'd be worthwhile if you could share a little bit of what your out, you know, night and morning because it wasn't wasn't just a day, it wasn't just a night. Obviously, what your night and morning was, especially given the fact that this was a West Coast game with a 10-10 uh, first pitch, and so if you could just kind of take us through that night for you as a guy who covers the team, who prides himself on not writing as you say, the AP story, you know, get something in depth because you had your first story and then you had another one. I was like, golly, does this guy ever stop? The grindfather. No, he doesn't. So why don't you just kind of take it from there? What was, what were you trying to do? What was your mindset? You know, if you could give us some sort of rough timeline, you know, just what was that night morning like for you? Yeah, I think the unfortunate thing is I never um, covered a no hitter before, and it's one of those things you always kind of dream about doing. Like you want to cover a no hitter, and I still sort of feel like I haven't covered a no hitter because I wasn't there. The game was in Seattle. We're still not traveling. Even in a normal year, I don't know if I would have made a trip as far out west as Seattle. Um, so you know, so I wasn't there. You're on your couch and you're kind of trying to stay awake. Like let's be honest, it's not the most thrilling thing, especially that late at night. And Turnbull's dealing, and he gets to about the third or fourth, and I'm like, oh, he hasn't, he hasn't given up a hit yet. You know, that's kind of interesting. I mean, he probably won't do it. And then he has no hits through five, and then I'm like, all right, we're gonna get some coffee going just in case. And then he has no hits through six, and then he has no hits through seven, and then everyone's tuned in. Uh, you know, there are probably people across the country watching Spencer Turnbull right now. So starting to tweet a little more, keep people updated on what's going on. And then I'm probably around the seventh is like, wait, if he finishes this, what am I going to write? Like, this is a big deal. This is one of the, the absolute highlights of the season. I'm not there. I don't really have like a feel for it. It's going to be hard to get some of the scenic details I would normally try to gather, so what am I going to write? And I start kind of going back in the archives and read a profile I did on Turnbull in 2019 before he started the home opener at Comerica Park just to refresh myself with with some of my own reporting on the guy. And remember the anecdote that when he was in college as a freshman, he threw seven no-hit innings um, against South Carolina. It was a game that was on, I think, ESPN or ESPN2. And that was kind of Turnbull's coming out party in college and he had a quote in there that said you know that was the moment that I started to think I can do this that I thought maybe I'm meant to do this and I was like that's very interesting he didn't get to finish that no hitter because lightning struck the game was 
postponed until the next day. They finished the the uh, eighth and ninth the next day, and Alabama obviously used a different pitcher. So he had he had you know not had the opportunity to finish a no hitter since then. So I was like, well, that's kind of relevant. And I feel like that reflects where he's at in his big league career a little bit, where like this is his arrival to some degree, especially for people who aren't Tigers fans, who don't know a lot about Spencer Turnbull. Now you've heard the guy's name, and let's be honest, after you throw a no-hitter, I'm sure your confidence level raises just a little bit. So um, he, you know, he finishes the eighth when Turnbull's in the ninth, and he walks the leadoff guy, and his pitch count's over 100. I see him wipe sweat off his brow, and I'm like, this guy looks exhausted. I don't know if he's going to be able to, to do it. Like, what if his pitch count gets to 125? What does AJ do? And then Turnbull reached back and uh, threw some of his best stuff of the night, uh, retiring the final hitter. You know, as Turnbull said, he wanted to make his three nastiest pitches of the night, and they were three pretty nasty pitches. So then it's over, and it's like, all right, it's action time. I'd kind of written down some thoughts and a couple stats and a couple lines, like in a Google Doc that, you know, Maybe I would use or maybe I wouldn't, but we get to the post-game Zoom interviews. They take a lot longer than the normal Zoom interviews because it was no-hitter. Everyone's got a lot of questions. We talked to uh, a couple more players. About what time did those interviews oh, start? I honestly don't know what time it was. I was not looking at the clock at that point. I mean, it was after 1 a.m. Eastern time, I'm sure. Um, Kieran texts me. He's like, should we do an emergency pod? And I'm like, I can't even really answer this text until this sh- uh, this stuff's over. So, um, and then you know it ended up being going so late uh, between the interviews that all took a long time. And Spencer Turnbull was was very good. Got in a few good questions to him. Got him to reflect on that game in college and really just his progress in trusting himself, believing in himself. And that was kind of the theme I wanted. Uh, for that story going in was knowing that this was going to have a little more of a national audience who weren't real familiar with Spencer Turnbull. I figured most people aren't going to care as much about the intricacies of the game. We'll talk about that a little bit, of course, but most people, you know, who were watching the game saw that and know what happened. More people are probably going to think, wonder who is Spencer Turnbull? How did he get here? So that's kind of what I tried to uh, weave into this story that was also about his no-hitter, thinking back to some conversations I've had with Turnbull in the past. There's a guy who, you know, 2019, his rookie year, didn't feel secure in the clubhouse, didn't feel, you know, I think he had a lot of anxiety. He's talked a little bit about mental health in the past, and I think he sought out um, some professionals in that regard, which is interesting because after the 2019 season, Turnbull made some very big changes to his diet, his strength training, his mental training, his whole approach, because he had a reputation. I mean, he had a reputation for being late all the time. I mean, I've been in the clubhouse where when Spencer Turnbull strolls in at 3.30, wearing a backpack, still in his street clothes, and it's like, I think you were supposed to be here a couple hours ago, bud. And he, he had that reputation. He had a reputation for maybe not taking care of his body as well as he should have. And so he altered a lot of that and really changed up his habits I think through that, he started having some success. Through that, his confidence increased a little more to where now this guy's kind of arrived as a really good pitcher. Even people in Detroit, and especially outside of Detroit, I mean, this guy's had sub-four FIPS in both of his first two seasons. His ERA was 3.97, and now he caps it with a truly dominant performance where it kind of all came together for him. Uh, so I, tr- I kind of t- tried to reflect that journey 
from college to you know the minors, no one really thought much of Turnbull. He he had some minor shoulder problems. You know, it was kind of like okay, Turnbull, whatever. Maybe he'll make it. Maybe he won't. Every now and then he would flash some pretty wicked stuff. Didn't have good command of it. We saw him in 2019 just have some awful games that were very hard to watch. Firing balls to the backstop, hitting batters. To where now this guy's probably your most reliable pitcher in this rotation, and now he's throwing a no-hitter. Kind of a cool story. So you wrap up that story at, like, the the first one, what, 4.30? It was, uh, it was probably, like, 3.30, 3.45 um, late, and I had an editor on the West Coast who wasn't as late for her, but I knew she was waiting on it, and I feel like it, it took a longer than normal to write a story of that length because I was – so it was really late, man. I was like, my brain's not all the way working. I'm also trying to make it good, but I don't want to overdo it. I was talking about a lot of different subjects. Even going back and rereading it, I think it, it feels a little disjointed in a couple places. Um, but I did capture the essence of what I wanted to capture. So filed that, I don't know, 3.30, 3.45. Um, kind of made sure the editor got it, made sure there were no problems, and it got posted, and then I like, rehydrated myself with some water and then I was like, all right, I should probably go to sleep. And I was like, I can't sleep. I've been drinking coffee all night. I just covered a no hitter. I'm wired. This isn't good. And I start thinking about the next day. I'm like, I'm going to have to write a follow-up story to this. I want to write something a little better when I have a little more time to sit and think about it when it's not 3 a.m. And I, I remembered, you know, something Turnbull had shared in his post game that he played catch with his dad um, just a few days ago. It was actually eight days before the no hitter. Spencer Turnbull, Spencer Turnbull's father Jim, drove from Madison, Mississippi, to Detroit, Michigan, and they played catch. and And Dad kind of gave him some little tips, little pointers, and sure enough, it worked for the guy quite well. And I'm like, that's a pretty good story. And it got me thinking, Jim Turnbull did an interview with Fox Sports Detroit at one point last year, talking about when he caught Spencer during quarantine, and he bought catcher's gear from Dick's Sporting Goods to catch his son, who now throws 95, 96 with wicked movement. You know, and, and Jim started crying toward the end of that interview, and he didn't get real specific, but he, he said, you know, Spencer's really helped me out too and helped me in my faith journey. And I was like, I bet there's a lot more to that story. I want to call Jim Turnbull. And I'm like, Spencer mentioned this in his press conference. I bet other people are going to try to call Jim Turnbull. And that's a big moment. And my competitive streak came out a little bit. I was like, I'm getting this one. I'm getting this story. No one's beating me to it. So what do you do? And you find a way to acquire Jim Turnbull's phone number. Uh, start looking on the internet. There's, there's not really much about him. He doesn't really have a social media presence. You know, you could always ask uh, the Tigers PR staff who would then get it from Turnbull and that's probably going to take like three days and someone else will probably have it by then. So I'm like, I don't want to do that. So I find one of these, you know, kind of random websites that has like information about people that may or may not be correct. And a lot of it's like you have to pay to like get the rest of the, you know, public information. But every now and then there's a, a phone number listed on there I've, and I've had success with it. Um you know, getting sources in the past. Sometimes it's a number that's like disconnected, doesn't even work anymore. Sometimes the person just answers. And so it's 4.30 a.m. And I'm like, this guy's going to think I'm crazy, but like, I don't know. He, he knows what's going on. Like, he'll probably understand. I'm like, I'm going to just text him. So first thing when he wakes up, 
he'll see this. Maybe he'll he'll reach out. We can schedule a call. So I'm like, you know, hello. I uh, just want to see if this is the correct number for Jim Turnbull. This is Cody Stavenhagen with The Athletic. Uh, I wanted to see if we might be able to talk in the morning for a story about Spencer. You know, congratulations on his no-hitter. Hope to hear from you. Something like that. And I get a response, like, instantaneously. And it says, nope, LOL, this is Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> so, shout out Spencer Turnbull. You gained a source. One... You gained a source. Also that, also that. Uh, sp- shout out Spencer Turnbull. He had just wrapped up his celebrating out on the West Coast. And he responded to me. He didn't have to do that. A lot of people would have ignored it. And not only did he respond to me. He, uh, without any prompt, said, hey, this is my dad's number. And I was like, all right, this is going to work out well. Um, I think I actually then went to sleep, and I, I uh, got up at like 8.30, knowing I wanted to get to work on the story, and I texted Jim Turnbull, you know, between 8.30 and 9 the next morning. And uh, we talked, I think, a little bit after 9, and, and had a really nice chat, really nice visit. He talked about going to... Detroit to play catch with Spencer. That was really the only reason he made the drive, which is crazy. Um, he talked about the catcher's gear. He talked. I think there's probably still more to the story. That's that's a little too personal for us to ever fully know. But uh, talked about Spencer. You know, getting him in church, getting him involved in his faith during a very difficult time where where the Turnbull family was kind of separating. And Jim also had tonsil cancer. Uh, you know, right around that same time, right around the time. Spencer got drafted, so we talked about kind of the emotional rock that that the son has been for the father, as well as the father for the son. Jim talked about a little bit about his battle with cancer and how he's been able to help some other people through that. So, as I suspected, there were there were a lot more layers and threads to that story. And uh, then I had to do a meeting, and then I had to do something else, and then I wrote it, and then I posted it, and then I was like, okay. And actually, then I kept doing stuff all day. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah. I was about to say, did you ever exhale? Did you ever exhale? I wasn't that tired because uh, I was running on like adrenaline. I think I never really exhaled. I had uh, a meeting. I like, I was like, well, I'm up. I'm going. Like, I think I went to the gym right after I finished that story, and then it was almost time to get back on Zoom for the next day's interviews. So I never really exhaled until probably what was it Thursday today? Yeah. Uh, we're recording this one Thursday, everyone, a little bit early this week. And I didn't really exhale until Thursday. And although I do not believe in being tired, I oddly like felt it a little more Thursday than I did Wednesday when it was just sheer, like, we're getting the work, we're getting the job done, you know? Yeah, very interesting stuff. I hope people appreciate sort of the behind the scenes of being a reporter uh, during times like this. Because I can tell you from experience, and obviously Cody's living it right now, uh, basically any sports movie that has like a sports writer, like current, I can't speak to like the old days, uh, it's highly inaccurate. Uh, (laughs) There's not really much to what what they depict in movies and stuff. So I hope hope people appreciate that. And another wrinkle to this no-hitter, so we're... A little bit more than a year into the pandemic, which thankfully there's been a lot of advancements, uh, especially in Michigan with the past couple of days of the news uh, yeah. that, you know, normal is here or normal is just on the horizon, depending on where you live. Uh, but we're still in a pandemic and, and baseball is in its second go round. But like football season, especially you heard about like 
Cam Newton, a couple other guys got COVID and maybe took a second to rec- uh, uh, to recover or maybe didn't fully recover because these are rigorous athletes, right? Jason Tatum, Boston Celtics, uh, said he has to he got COVID and he like has to have an inhaler before games or whatever, and that's something that he had never had to do previously. So it you know it's not breaking news to say that people get affected by COVID differently and and all that stuff, and there's still a lot that we don't know. But Spencer Turnbull had COVID not too long ago. And although mm-hmm. baseball is not the same physically as, like, basketball or football, like, being a starting pitcher, when you're out there, you're out there, like, with not, like, a lot of reprieve, you know what I mean? And it's a different kind of physical, rigorous endur- endurance. And his pitch count wasn't light. It was light there for a bit, but it wasn't <laughs> light at the end. And so, I mean, I don't have, like, a grand assumption to make from it, but I, I did I did think, like, well, this is nice to see that, like, someone who did have COVID, who did miss his usual routine beginning of the season, then he had to have some starts in the, uh, in the minors and kind of get back to form and you know, then he gets, you know, called back up to the majors, and, you know, that wasn't that long ago, and for him to have this moment, I don't, I doubt anyone asked him about that post-game or whatever, but if there was something else that kind of puts a bow on a special day, like getting a highly contagious, deadly disease and overcoming it, and then doing it, I think that's another reason why it's it was such a cool moment for him. Yeah, that's super true. And I mean, I think that's even part of why his dad came up to kind of catch his bullpen session because, you know, he had COVID. He was trying to get right in the minors. He His spring training prep had kind of been interrupted right at the tail end. I think he was a little bit off his first few outings. He had a rough outing in Boston before he played catch with his dad. He had a great outing against KC, and then he throws a no-hitter, uh, so I don't know how it affected him physically. I mean, I remember Daniel Norris saying his first start after COVID, he felt like he couldn't breathe properly. Other people seem just fine. But even guys, uh, Julio Tehran and, and Jose Urania talked about they kind of tried to come back from COVID too quickly last year, and they, they attribute that to part of the reason they had really bad years. Uh, Spencer Turnbull, the Tigers took their time. They did have him down at the alternate training site, let him build back up a little bit. And now we're probably seeing why that was wise. But yeah, shout out to Spencer Turnbull for uh, for being able to feel that good, for being able to throw 117 pitches and having, as he said, you know, probably the best night of his life, um, you know, only a couple months after after getting COVID. So since we're recording this a couple days after, I, I don't feel guilty about kind of asking this question because if we would have done like an emergency pod or whatever, uh, it wouldn't have been the time. But a couple days later, we, we've digested it, we've talked about it, we've acknowledged how special it is, so we're not stealing any limelight away. Originally, this podcast was going to be a Matthew Boyd podcast. We were going to talk about, we were going to talk about the season he's having, which, again, that will come down the line, and he has been tremendous this year, and what that means for the team and sort of like the timeline for the Tigers to be contenders again. We have also been on the train of Spencer Turnbull is a dang good pitcher, and this is obviously before the the no-hitter. He turns 29 in September. Is, is it something that the Tigers should look at? A move 
at the end of July? Or is he a guy that could be like an older tier of a core guy moving forward in your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think he could be either one. I think the Tigers definitely have to look at it. I know they've gotten calls about Turnbull in the past, even in the 2019 offseason. They held on to him because they thought he was going to continue to improve. And they were right in that regard. I think you have to look at it. I think uh, there's a strong chance Boyd or Turnbull will be traded at this deadline because the Tigers need to boost um, hitting depth in their system. They have some more pitching on the way. And sometimes I wonder, could it be Turnbull? Because you really need Boyd to keep pitching like he's pitching, even if he has a 2.5 ERA at the trade deadline. It's going to be so easy for teams to devalue him based on his history of strong starts and poor finishes. Um, Boyd does have you know a year plus left on his contract, which which bodes well. Teams won't just be getting a couple month rental. But I think even if Boyd is just killing it, uh, teams are going to try to devalue the Tigers. And let's be honest, but maybe maybe think they can get you know lowball Alavila a little bit. Whereas Turnbull, you're going to have a harder time doing that with. Now maybe that means like Matt Boyd in 2019, they don't trade Turnbull unless they get that golden ticket offer. So that's the other thing. Do you want to let Turnbull go for a middling prospect? Uh, I don't really like that idea. But if you're trying to acquire a legit prospect, a, a MLB ready bat that can help you, you know, in the next five years, I think you're more likely to get that right now from Turnbull than Matt Boyd. Too early to know right now. We'll see how many teams need pitching. The fact Boyd's a lefty could be a big factor um, for teams that really need help against uh, against left-handed hitters or just need more left-handed pitching. That could play a role. Um, but I'm sure we will continue talking about this in the next couple of months, and I'm sure the Tigers will will listen to uh, any offers that are out there at the very least. It's looking like, uh, according to Spot Track, that he's under team control until 2025. He's got arbitration. Is this Turnbull? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, arbitration mm-hmm. uh, next well, couple years. That's a lot of team control. That's a lot of next three off seasons. He's got uh, arbitration. That's a lot of team control. And and we don't have to spend too much time on the trade thing, but I, I just do I do want to get my uh, my general thoughts about like Boyd and Turnbull. Don't just trade guys to trade guys. I think when sometimes when you're yeah. in a rebuild mode, fans like lose sight of. I think it's like a video game element where like everyone plays a franchise yeah. mode and all that stuff, and they kind of take away from the process. And I've sort of hinted at this before. You don't just like you don't just like trade him essentially to trade him, uh, and you got to make sure you get good value back. So like I would be open to trading both of them, but is there also a part of me that thinks like I'm not gonna trade him just so I can like get I don't know 55, 60 cents on the dollar? Like yeah. it's just like it's got to be like a worthwhile trade, I guess. But I wouldn't just do it to do it. Um, it's also worth mentioning, Cody, that Spencer was not the only one who had a good starting pitching performance uh, in Seattle. If if it wasn't for the no-hitter, we'd be talking about, is this staff turning the corner? Because, you know, Boyd's been doing Boyd all, all year. It's actually somewhat of a... Uh, it's honestly somewhat of a redundant topic because there's nothing really new. He's just been pretty freaking nice pitcher all year. Uh but Mize and Scooble, again, it's almost getting redundant. 
like we've talked about, okay, they had their developmental. It wasn't as much this week where they just looked really dialed in. And like we'd be talking about a complete staff performance if it wasn't for the no hitter, especially uh, not to take anything away from school, but especially Mize. I was especially happy to see what Mize did the, the previous game. Casey Mize, you know, I, I think it, in some ways it was better than his seven scoreless in Houston. Just the fastball command he had, the thing we've kind of been looking for all year. Even early in his start against Houston, his command was a little off. Uh, his fastball command was just there. It was there all night. He pounded the strike zone. He mixed in the curveball a little more. I thought Jake Rogers called a great game working in some early count curveballs. Still interesting that he really has gone away from the splitter, or at least that diving swing and miss splitter. To the point, I, I am assuming that must be by design, but can't complain too much about it because it's working for the guy right now. He's strung together a few nice starts in a row, so it seems like perhaps we are watching Mr. Mize make progress. Again, development isn't linear, so we should probably stop. Has Casey Mize arrived? Has Casey Mize not making the progress he should? Like We can ride that back and forth all year. I think the fact that he's had a couple good, very good outings in a row is a sign of progress, and at this point in the young man's career, that's really all you can ask for. And same thing with Scooble. His stuff, is, as I said last week, like he's just looked more like himself. He ran into a little bit of trouble in the first against Seattle, and then he really settled in. He threw strikes. He commanded his stuff much better than he has really all year. Uh, finishes with a career-high nine strikeouts and has one of his better outings. And again, I wonder, I wonder, are we really beginning to see A.J. Hinch and Chris Fetter's fingerprints? Have they been around long enough now where their influence is starting to show up? I would not be at all surprised if that's a big part of it. I actually think the best thing you said there is development isn't linear. Because in a, I, almost, I was almost going to say 140 characters. In 280-character <laughs> world, uh, basically anytime there's a hiccup, or speed bump it's you know fire everybody this is obviously not working i mean you see that with spencer turkelson and yeah, oh, yeah. i mean it's like the the word bus isn't getting thrown around but i've seen that pick getting criticized right now and and the mice pick not too long ago was getting second guessed uh and so i i tend to <laughs> and this is reflective of politics today as well. I tend to always want to take a step back when I see someone that's like <laughs> gone too hard on an angle, wherever, whatever it is. I tend to want to take a step back and be like, okay, what's really going on here? And we can on another day, like talk about like a real timeline for the Tigers or whatever. But there's nothing to say that they're necessarily behind that three game sweep of the Mariners put them at eight and two. You have a new manager. Like I know it's a long rebuild, so I'm not trying to discount like what we've seen earlier this season. It's a long rebuild. You have guys in the minors that have a ton of promise. So like we knew that wasn't gonna help the major league team this year. You're seeing development out of Mize and Scooble. And by the way, the ultimate example of Riding the roller coaster, as AJ would reluctantly say, was what we saw on Tuesday <laughs> night, right? Was Spencer Tur- Turnbull throwing a no hitter? That was, you even look at his minor numbers, and you alluded to it. 
not necessarily pretty. They weren't necessarily pretty to watch this year when he was just trying to get, you know, back from COVID and get to the major leagues. So, again, we don't have to spend too much time on that, but you got to avoid the hot takes with this. You got to you gotta take a step back and be like, baseball is a long game. It's a hard game. It's 162 games a season. So if there's a, a bad stretch here or there, like that's sort of baked into the cake. You should expect that. And so and that's really just my main point is that like we've, we've seen people really ride Mize. We've seen people really ride Scooble. These guys are young dudes trying to figure it out. Maybe you should think back to when you were trying to figure out your career at 22. You know, like did you were you, were you a be, the best salesman at 22 years old? You know what I mean? Were you the best engineer at 22 years old? Were you the best doctor? I mean, it's just, I, I just, I, I, I preach patience. Uh, that's something we can elaborate on at a different time. I'm big on patience. And we're seeing the reward of patience. Kieran's getting fired up here. He's doing his best Colin Coward. I like it. I like it. Um, yeah, I think calling for that paycheck, let me tell you. <laughs> I think it's important to remember right now the Tigers are eight and two in their last ten. I don't I don't know what their record will be by the time we post this podcast. They might have a terrible weekend. Uh, but right now everything is great again. It's also important to remember this team's probably going to have a couple more losing stretches. Probably some days where it's pretty ugly. I think the good thing is, like we also talked about last week, maybe things are normalizing. Maybe this is what this team should be: a lot of ups and a lot of downs because it's a young team trying to figure stuff out. I think the good news is that losing 18 of 21 was not going to be this black shadow that, that was never lifted. It's it's already been lifted. The Tigers are playing well. It may not last forever. Uh, but it now I, I'm thinking like this is a team that's going to continue to have some high highs and some low lows. But at the end of the year, you're going to look at the standings. They're not going to be historically bad. And you can say, well, all right. And that's why I think for the people who wanted Alavila fired in mid-May, like that's one of the big reasons it didn't happen. Uh, because look at the team now. Like the, the guys on the farm had an excellent night two nights ago. And, you know, like everyone hit. Uh, I think at the end of this year, if you're Chris Illich, you have to do step back, do a really big picture uh, evaluation of the organization. Did we make progress in the areas that, that, that you want to see progress? And I think if any decision or change were to happen, I think that would be a more realistic timeline because you can't always just overreact to stuff in May, as tempting as it is. Even Kieran and I are guilty of it uh, to a certain extent, but we're seeing right now why this is a long season, 162 games. You have to take it more as a whole or at least in like 40 game chunks than you can uh, one or two good weeks or one or two bad weeks. Real quickly, Cody. Uh, so that was the second time that Seattle had been no hit this year. The next day, the Rangers were no hit, and that was the second time uh, that they had been no hit this year. Insult to injury. Imagine being a Rangers fan, and it was like a former pitcher that was there the year before, uh, <laughs> no hitting you in your new ballpark or one year old ballpark, depending on how you look at it. Uh, we're one no hitter away from tying the record. Uh, for no hitters in a season, it's been done like three times, I believe. Seven, I believe the number is. Uh, is there anything to that? Because we're getting a lot of like stories now, including some of your colleagues at the Athletic who are talking about, you know, the state of baseball, the state of hitting, you know, 
the the term the baseball has been adjusted has kind of been thrown out there i'm not sure how officially but it's been being talked about pretty heavily after it was already adjusted a couple years ago and pitchers complained so is there is there anything to any of these you know theories that are out there in your opinion based on your observations I think it's a combination of all of them. I, I asked AJ Hinch this question not because I wanted to write some hot take that like there aren't enough hits in baseball because I actually want to know what he thought because I think AJ Hinch is a very smart guy and his, his answer uh, kind of led me to share his opinion in that think about the level of data that's out there. The advanced scouting. hitter or Pitchers can attack hitters' weaknesses like never before. They can do it early in games. They're showing them their best stuff earlier in games they're throwing more spin than ever they're throwing harder than ever um pitching technology is considered a little ahead of the curve ahead of hitting technology in terms of how pitchers can develop how they can shape their pitches and then on top of all that you throw in yeah the shift yeah launch angle swings yeah the ball um there's a lot going on right now that is in the favor of pitchers and it's not just the shift i mean yeah we saw some balls in, in turnbulls no hitter that probably would have been hits if if there are no shifts but there's the shift is not it's it didn't just start this year the shift's been around for a long time and, and we haven't seen six no hitters in may before so you know i think it's uh, a little too simplistic to yell about the shift and say we have to ban the shift or there's going to be a no hitter every night I think some of it's a baseball oddity, too. I was watching the, the tail end of the Kluber no-hitter, and I was a little conflicted because I've always liked watching Corey Kluber pitch. But I was like, if he finishes this, baseball is going to get made fun of on Twitter, and I don't want to see that. you know. And like, oh, that's like no spotlight for Turnbull. That kind of sucks for him a little bit. Um, sure enough, you know, it's become a topic. Baseball's been made fun of. No one can hit. Yeah, offensive numbers are down. Yeah, they're probably down a little too much. I don't know that we're going to see no hitters continue at this pace. Perhaps it will set a record and it'll be more than seven. I don't think we're going to finish the year with like 25 no hitters. That's uh, that is my prediction. Maybe baseball is just uh, zagging when everyone else is zigging. Everything else in basketball is all about uh, all about you know everything's a foul, so you know everything you know there's more points. And football, obviously, the rules favor the offense. You know what? I, I might just appreciate the fact that there's lower scoring in baseball. They're just zagging when everyone else is zigging. I don't know. I like it. You know what bores me? The NBA. Oh, three-pointer. Oh, dunk. No defense. Oh, foul. Let's take our time. Let's shoot two foul shots. Oh, another foul. Off-ball foul. Let's inbound the ball. Let's shoot a three-pointer. The NBA has become dull, in my opinion. If you want to talk about a sport that I don't enjoy watching as much as I used to, it's the NBA. That's a hot take. We're going to tease that. It is a hot take, and I'm here for it. And I'm here for <laughs> not, it, all right? People down. need to invest in baseball. This is where the action is at. You want to see Tyler Alexander throwing the sixth <laughs> inning against uh, <laughs> the Kansas City Royals. Like, that's what the people are here for. Come on. We don't need you know, we don't need all these three-pointers. We don't need this lack of defense and fundamentals. Come on. I will say this. Basketball, the NBA specifically, does have an urgency problem. And if you're on Tiger's Twitter – the fans definitely have an urgency problem because everything needs to happen right now, uh, which I get, but like basketball has an urgency problem. That's why they had to do this playing gimmick, which by the way, I'm cool with, but it is a gimmick and same thing with adjusting the lottery odds and you would see the lineups, the Pistons and the Thunder would put out the last like week. I mean, it is sad. It is absolutely sad. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, little, M- little NBA, I think you just, 
I think you just resent how popular the Pistons are right now. Is that... I mean, why are they so popular? They're a bad team. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I like Troy Weaver. I think he's made some creative moves, the type of moves I'd like to see the Tigers make or maybe procuring some young talent you can really develop, hitting on some guys. So I get that, and I get why fans are excited about that. Regardless of what you think of Alavila, I think Troy Weaver is a pretty good model right now for types of moves I'd like to see the Tigers making. But come on, like, just, I don't know, like, why? Is it is it because of, it's just because of Twitter. It's because of the, the GIFs and you can put uh, some siren emojis and be like, this league, and no one does that when Tyler Alexander, you know, has a 3-1 count against uh, your mean Mercedes. And, like, I get that. I get it. But also, like, I don't know. Uh, I, I've loved the NBA my whole life. I, I watched it a lot growing up, especially... And I don't enjoy it as much as I used to, and that's the truth. And some of it's twi- some of it is maybe I like to think hate things that are popular, <laughs> and I don't know why I don't know why it's so popular. Like, come on, like relax. Uh, maybe one, probably one day this summer, maybe during NBA Finals week, we'll we'll do a, like a 10, 15 minute basketball rant because I I do have a lot pent up for that, but we don't we don't have to. I, and I like I'm not a curmudgeon at all about baseball. I, let's have some launch angle swings. Yeah. Let's put some balls in the seats. Let's flip the bats. I think I'm a curmudgeon about basketball, you know. Well, you know, let's, let's play some defense. Yeah. I like college basketball. Well, we were, let's run some sets. This let's week, go. Ben Wallace got into the hall or got like elected to the Hall of Fame, and that's the guy who completely shaped how I view basketball. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I didn't fall in love with Allen Iverson. I didn't fall in love with uh, Kobe Bryant. I fell in love with Ben Wallace, and and those Piston teams are how I view basketball. So, because I was in fifth grade when they won the championship, so like that's prime shaping time. And so, and so, yeah, we need more Ben Wallaces of the. Karen, we've done it again. This is the second time on this podcast <laughs> we've gone on basketball tangents, and sure enough, on our baseball podcast, we've spent more time talking about a more exciting, more popular sport basketball win. well I, I, I was gonna transition just like really quickly just like really quickly i was gonna transition to this like the tony la Russa thing maybe we can just relish in the fact that the white Sox chose the ultimate curmudgeon oh my god over a guy <laughs> who recently won a world series is obviously not a curmudgeon who has the backing of his players and A.J. Hinch, and that's the reason why the Tigers have A.J. Hinch to begin with, because Jerry Reinsdorf was like, nah, I'm good. This is hilarious to me. This is such a funny storyline. And it, it, it kind of sucks, because I liked Tony LaRusso growing up, and I read the book he did with Buzz Bissinger, and I thought it was a very good, uh, very good book. Gives you some real insight on what it's like to manage one series of baseball, and you can't discount what Tony LaRusso's done in this game. But it's played out exactly how we all thought it was going to happen. Like, this guy's got to be out of touch. He's 76 years old. And then he did all these interviews. I'm not out of touch. I'm all for the players having fun. Blah, 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 blah. Well, it's May, and uh, you're mad that your mean Mercedes, your rookie, homered off a position player on a 3-0 count. I think if anything is a disgrace to the game there, it's the fact that a position player is on the mound. As CC Sabathia said, if you're lobbing it over the plate, take it yard, you know? If you haven't seen CC Sabathia's rant, you should go watch it because it's what I wish I could say on this podcast, but we're keeping it R2C2 keeping is it slightly R2-C2. more family-friendly here on Turning the Corner. 
uh, you know, and then the Lance Lynn thing, you know, he says, well, I have an office and he has a locker, you know, because Lance didn't necessarily, uh, agree with his assessment on unwritten rules. And it's like, dude, stop. Like, this is what you said you weren't going to do. And here you are and you're doing it and it's May. And it seems like your own players don't like you very much. Yeah. I mean, it, and again, like it, let's just say the Tigers do turn the corner Despite the fact that obviously the White Sox very talented, obviously you know, in first place right now, they could end up being really, really good in spite of a lot of this Larusa stuff. Uh, but the, if the Tigers do end up turning the corner, that's a that's a uh, that's a fork in the road for the fortunes of the Detroit Tigers. Is what happened on the south side of Chicago, and I, and something that doesn't get mentioned enough specific to that event by the way players are judged on stats so if he's gonna go if he's mm-hmm. gonna go to mm-hmm. the plate even if the game's out even if it's a 3-0 count and you gotta do throwing batting practice to him like like i know he's a rookie so it's not like he's like in a contract contract year but like that's how he's going to be viewed so you want him to give up in a bat? Man, he's going to be up for ARB in a couple years. Teams try to devalue in arbitration. You're a little harder to devalue if you say, oh, I hit 30 homers. I drove in 100 runs. I had a 125 weighted runs created plus. I don't know if he's going to finish with those numbers, but like swing the bat, pump up your numbers, get yourself Take him paid. out of the game then, Nothing dude. Wrong with like that. If you, like if- we're, I'm, we're, we're pro labor here. I'm pro union, pro labor. All right, let's like. Like let's if, you go. Don't, if you don't want, like, what? Just. Put in the third string catcher to bat or whatever if you don't want like a like promising young player up in that situation. Like I don't know. It's just it's one of those things that I just I think John Oliver coined the phrase, like, why is this a thing? Like I like why mm-hmm. is this a thing? Like why do we even have to talk about it? Like we shouldn't. And then LaRusa makes it a thousand times worse by being like, Oh, it was embarrassing and I called to apologize or you know, whatever the hell he said. It was just it was just embarrassing. It was just flat out embarrassing for baseball that you talked about Turnbull spotlight kind of being taken from him. Uh, there's more people nationally talking about this Larusa thing than Spencer Turnbull. And oh, by the way, I, I do have a quick little Larusa esque. I got my dog scratching himself over here. I don't know if it made it to the audio. Uh, I do have a little Larusa brief rant. And it's not specific to him, but he's definitely in the group. If we're going to punish players for steroid use, which that's a different discussion, but as of right now, we are. Put him in the hall. Why are we giving managers a pass? That's pretty good. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Hall of Fame. He got in the Hall of Fame on the biceps of Jose Canseco and Mark McGuire. And obviously, he did manage longer than that and had success. But, like, does he get that long track record without the Bash brothers? You know who was suspended a year because his players were cheating? A.J. Hinch. Uh, A.J. Hinch? Tony Russo's managed plenty of players over the years that cheated. And uh, you're right. He kind of gets a pass for it. I don't know that that's right or wrong. I don't know how aware he was of the drug use in his clubhouse. Yeah, that gets into a whole other discussion. But you're right. It's interesting to think about. And even if it's not, a, it's not even really like, oh, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame if the juicing sluggers aren't. But 
in terms of like the court of public opinion and the court of public discourse I think that 1,000% needs to be part of any, like, legacy discussion for any of these managers who, in my opinion, knew. And we just give them the pass because they overlooked it. Like, well, they're not taking the steroids, Kieran. Well, you know who wasn't stealing signs? A.J. Hinch. Facts. Yeah, and and there's no way to—no one would ever admit this publicly, so there's no way to prove it. But there's probably a good chance that— AJ did more to stop the sign stealing than those '90s managers did to curb steroid use. I'm I'm gonna plug a book real quick. Andy Martino he covers the uh, Yankees and Mets for SNY. He also has newspaper experience. He has a book coming out called Cheated. It uh, it comes out June 8th. It's actually about the sign stealing scandal. And there's some other good reporting coming. I believe Evan Drellick, my coworker at the Athletic, is working on a book. But I've seen an advanced copy of this Andy Martino book, and I would recommend picking it up when it comes out. There is some new stuff in there, and I read very carefully every time AJ Hinch's name was mentioned in this book. And it's interesting because I think Hinch is very much portrayed kind of the way I've portrayed him in that, well, maybe he could have done more to stop it, but this guy was not the one stealing the signs. He was far from the ringleader in this thing, and and we've got at least one book coming out that I think validates that opinion quite a bit. We'll see what some of the other reporting holds. Uh, But Cheated by Andy Martino, I'd recommend checking it out when it comes out uh, in just about a month. Yeah, very true, Cody. Look forward to to reading all the reporting that comes out because, you know, it's one of those things, just like the steroids. uh, I'm always in favor of more information. I always uh, hope that stuff gets out as opposed to doesn't that's just i don't know i guess that's the journalism major in me i just believe in just information coming out and then we assess it from there so uh really really look forward to reading those books and some good plugs i'll do the same plug i did to begin this podcast if you're not an athletic subscriber they have a deal going on right now there's this is a great time to be a sports fan to be a sports media reader uh cody's had a couple articles on there with turnbull that uh, touch on a lot of things. They touch on baseball. They touch on overcoming adversity. They touch about the father-son bond, which Father's Day is coming up. So I imagine that's going to resonate with a lot of people. Uh, so great work this week, Cody. Uh, definitely, definitely love the fact that the Athletics Cody Stavenhagen is the co-host on this podcast because it gives us a lot of validity and your writing is the source of that validity so we're gonna wrap up here next week we'll see if the tigers continue their winning ways that's not a sentence i anticipate saying all that much this year continuing their winning ways but as of right now i can say that so for cody stavenhagen i am kieran steckley thank you for listening